Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast Extravaganza, episode 146. Um, we're back for the second time in this World Cup. Um, it's been a busy few weeks for all of us, uh, mainly because we've been watching football games, not many other reasons. World Cup swept up in the World Cup fever, um, you may say. Um, and yeah, I'm joined by two of the uh, quadfecta, whatever the fuck Daniel calls it. Um, and Daniel was not one of them, otherwise he would be speaking right now instead of me. So one of them is uh, usual main show host, but he's been absent for a while, which is a shame. Um, Robert Worthington, the man with a versatile name, Rob Bob Bert, Berthy, um, Roberto Mancini. We say saying, Rob? Berthy is a new one, but um, yeah, it's very good to be back. It, has, it does feel like it, it's been a while. Um, I was just chatting before the show about the fact that the World Cup sort of came at quite a convenient time because this is a busy time of year for all of us. But um, at the same time, I, I do put my absence down quite a lot to just watching a lot of football. And then in my spare time, I have to do my uni work. Whereas, you know, at a normal time of year, it's just really the weekends that I watch football and a few evenings. So it's been great. The, the World Cup has been absolutely fantastic, I think. Um, it, you know, I think we all had a few anxieties heading into the tournament, but it, it, it's been it's been brilliant, as good a World Cup as I can really remember. So yeah, it's been it's been absolutely fantastic watching the games every day, and I'm missing I'm missing it today I, and and yesterday. It's really weird not having like however many games a day. Yep, and I mean we will do a little bit of World Cup chat. We're going to talk about Arsenal's. Well, Rob is going to tell us about Arsenal's three 0 win over Leon today, the first of our mid-season friendlies um, and then we'll have a massive chat about probably the only news that has been presented to us about Arsenal during this period which is obviously Gabriel Jesus's injury how do we cope um, potential solutions uh, what this means for the rest of our season we'll chat about all of that uh, myself and Mac who is the uh, third host on this podcast um, I was going to say, do I not get an introduction here? Like, oh, you do, you do. It's coming. All right, be all patient. Right. Be patient. Um, we spoke about some of the uh, sort of implications of the World Cup and some of the controversies around it last uh, in the last episode, which wasn't quite last week. Um, so we're not going to touch on those today. But obviously, there are all of the sort of caveats about, you know, migrant worker deaths and the corruption and everything so we're not going to touch on that in this podcast because yeah um but mac the celebrity i'm joined by you i thought you'd frozen for a second but uh it turns out you just had an extremely still face um it, it, it doesn't seem like that happens for you you're very your face goes completely still anyway mac the celebrity um as as daniel refers to him mac what are you saying I'm doing all right, you know, having a great time. Alpha, I think you'll find that's called zoning out. Um, shout out to what I'm very sure is my undiagnosed ADHD. Uh, nah, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Good to, good to talk about the World Cup as always. Um, I was fiddling with my sound setting there, so very, very intense. But, you know, no, I, I'm just, I'm happy to be here. Happy to finally speak to Rob. Feels like it's been about a month. Um, and yeah, not too excited about the situation back at home although i'm sure the the action against leon today was was just really you know scintillating so exciting can't wait to hear all about it um that's about it for me big thumbs up 
Happy days. Well, I'm going to come straight back to you because I thought we'd have a little bit of World Cup well, chat. We'd, yeah, we, I thought we'd have a bit of World Cup chat. Um, and we spoke about the US last time we spoke on this podcast. Um, you gave me, it was just after the England-USA game, I think, and you gave me a bit of you know insight into it as our US correspondent. And given your route, we'll save the England stuff for me and Rob to talk about in a bit. But just give me your feelings on as a USMNT as all you refer to it as um, give me your sort of rundown on how the country is feeling about the tournament how you felt and yeah just just general feelings on you seminator well I'd say in terms of my personal feelings about the game about our elimination it didn't come as that much of a shock Um, frankly on the night the Netherlands were the better team I'm not sure that was ever in doubt really but like there was something of a feeling after we won nil nil with England and you know it was you get it right like there was a lot of positive energy a lot of joking around on social media I think World Cup fever has really electrified a lot of the young folks in America I say that young folks I'm 22 Um, although if you met me you know the gray hair might say something else but no the uh Genuinely, I mean, we've been like, I have watched the World Cup through every single in-person class I've had during, you know, when it's going on. Um, I had the Morocco-Spain shootout, um, the penalties live while I was in choir, um, legitimately rehearsing, conducting, doing all of our parts. And the phone was just on the armrest of the chair between me and my friend Megan. And, you know, I probably shouldn't say this in case my director listens. No chance he will. But I rate um, you for still actually fulfilling your commitments because everything's gone out the window for me all the time i've basically lived i've lived in my living room or if it was an england game at the pub yeah Uh, yeah exactly the same for me well done to you mac reckon it's my my attendance at uni has plummeted (laughs) yeah well here here it's a little different um because we're a super small school like attendance counts as a part of your grade so not showing up is like quite serious, tiny classes, a lot of participation. You kind of have to, sh- especially when you get older, like one of the courses I'm in has, it's like me and eight people and it's, it's a seminar. Um, and I have been watching the 10 AM games at, that every time they happen on a Tuesday, Thursday, watching them through everything. But um, yeah, I think generally I have not found this many Americans invested in like a not American football sport or maybe maybe baseball but like genuinely it's it's kind of taken over here um they've had live screenings of the games in like one of our big theaters literally every time they happen um it's it's definitely been a lot of energy around it we um i mentioned this to alf in the in the ppc shout out danny but we're actually doing a, a scrimmage between the ultimate frisbee team which i play on and the club soccer team um for those of you not versed in american sports America has every college will have like their varsity team, the team that plays for the college. Then they'll have a club team or a set of club teams that are just like student run, student organized. Um, and what we are playing that club team in a football, f- soccer, whatever scrimmage this Saturday, and then going to watch France, England, which I'm sure y'all are about to get onto. Um, frankly, I think a lot of the investment in this World Cup has been like more around just watching the World Cup than watching America because we're bad. So that's that's my rundown i just want to ask you about bearholter and, and just 
because I've been listening to the uh, World Cup Daily on Arsenal Vision show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've been listening to their podcast and Elliot, um, obviously a US national, uh, yep. has been going on about it. Um, and he's a bit frustrated because, you know, it's no you no longer have a team full of MLS stars or players and then, you know, your Clint Dempsey or Landon Donovan. You have a team playing of players who are at some top European clubs now. You have a lot more talent at your disposal. And he seemed, he was a little bit frustrated with the manner of some performances not acting like you do have more talent, you know, against second half against Wales, um, even elements of the Iran game. Um, the the Dutch game, you sort of, you just sort of played into their hands for me. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think with Bearhalter, it's... My frustration's a little different, I think, from Elliot's. Um, I don't think that Bearhalter recognizes or doesn't recognize the talent he has at his disposal. I just don't think he's a very good coach. Um, like in terms of the managerial aspects when it comes to the man management, the press conferences, the fans, but also managing the personalities, you know, with a bigger, more European squad tends to come a little more ego. And kind of having someone to manage that can be really useful. But I think we are, we've reached a stage with the national team where performance has to matter above unity. Like it's a very unified squad. A bunch of these boys have kind of come up together in the youth ranks, have then moved to Europe, but are still connected, playing together. Um, it's a very cohesive unit. And I think what we need now is a manager who can really take these players and stick them in a system that's going to pay dividends. I also think there's something to be said, and this does not just hold true for uh, the U.S. men, it's true for the U.S. women as well, about the level of domestic competition. Um, we don't get enough opportunities to pit ourselves kind of against the best and the brightest. And I think even if just a European coach could help us make that connection, I'd be fine with it. But um, yeah, I think, frankly, the turnover rate on international managers is pretty high. Bearhalter's been around for a while. Um, I'm of the opinion that he's run his course. I have a lot of respect for the project that he's put in, but I think we need a manager who can actually manage. And that is the, that's kind of my my two cents. And and if I might just like ask Please. a question on that. I think international management is such a, a complex sort of um, area to sort of appoint and recruit from because I think pretty much we've seen with, with the big sides that, that you've got sort of two perspectives. You can either go for like one of the big big name management managers. Um, so from the American perspective, let's look at that. Yeah, Klinsman. And, um, you know, that's a pretty household um, management name. Uh, and then... You know, more recently, you've gone for the um, sort of American approach. Um, and then I, I guess that can be sort of likened to the, the way that England have gone about things. Obviously, we had Capello before and then, yes, we had the Hodgson era, but then we then we had Southgate. Um, and yeah, we, we sort of took that approach. So, so what sort of manager do America look for? Because obviously your best like sort of managerial export is marsh but you know he's obviously in a job at the moment do you, do you wait for someone like that would you prefer it was american or are you happy just to sort of get a pretty experienced european coach re regardless of his nationality 
I think there is something to be said for the importance of an American coach simply because, or at least backtrack, a coach that knows the MLS, right? Because it is important to recognize how much of international recruiting comes from within a country, even from the U.S. If you were to pick their strongest 11, you would probably note that very few of them, with the exception of Walker Zimmerman, play in the U.S. Um, actually, DeAndre Edlin might. I don't know where he plays now. I've forgotten. But, you know, digressions aside, right? A lot of our squad do not play within the U.S., and that's awesome. But I think a lot of the the backups, the Shaq Moores, the Pepe Rodriguez's of the world, there is a lot of American talent in the MLS because 99% of the American players in the world play in the MLS. And I think having someone who knows American soccer, and I will call it that because it's about America, don't flame me, um, is really key. But, you know, maybe a profile of, and I don't want to say someone like a Patrick Vieira, but in some ways, because of his time with NYCFC, he's uniquely positioned to understand American soccer while still having an international perspective and being able to coach bigger personalities in a bigger tournament. I love what he's done with Palace. Again, don't think he's going to happen because he'll have that job for a while. But Rob, in that in that way, that's kind of the dream balance, right? Because Klinsman was working with an older generation. He was working with a squad that had already spent a tournament together. They were kind of solidified, right? And he didn't really have to do much work in terms of that selection. Bearhalter has kind of entirely reinvented the wheel in terms of selections, in terms of the squad. We were the second youngest at the tournament, and I think we'll probably be very much in that ranking with the next tournament um, in four years' time. But, you know, I think at a certain point, this squad is kind of set where it is. We've got the next wave of young talent coming through. And as long as the manager has some experience of how to recruit players within America for this squad and, you know, how to evaluate that talent and has, frankly, the wherewithal to go watch all of those MLS matches in addition to watching Gio Reyna at Dortmund and Pulisic at Chelsea whenever the hell he plays. Um, I think that's the criteria. But frankly, Klinsman, you know, was a big name. But again, what's he really done in the managerial sphere that's been mind-blowing, right? And seeing his punditry, I, I yeah. don't see much yeah, yeah, in his yeah. Exactly. Coaching. I mean, hell, if you're looking for an American, go go Clint Dempsey. He, he was He's actually quite a good pundit. Um, same with Landon Donovan. But again, those are big names. That would be kind of a vibes pick. It's that's I that that's very Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of us. But um I think generally I don't know. Frankly, the answer, Rob, is that I don't know, but I think it's a coach with enough international pedigree to coach a you know a tactically fun team, use the energy and the youth that we have at our disposal while still having at least some experience within the MLS. It's a it's a tough profile and frankly I think we will either stick with Bearhalter or go the MLS savvy route just kind of appreciating hell, maybe the talent will actually work out for us because, you know, RFA is incompetent when it comes to managing as well. But um, yeah, that, that I think is the answer to your question that I have at least. It's interesting. And I'm looking forward to seeing how you develop in the next few years ahead of a home tournament in 2026, which will be interesting. Um, could be... Gonna go to all of those games. Y'all need to come visit during that time at least. Finally, come be, hopefully, we'll be working at the tournament. Visit me and Danny. I mean, that that would be, be pretty cool. <laughs> I'll be twenty-five years old by then, so hopefully, I'm working yeah. in the field. Hopefully, they'll send I'll be, me there. I'll be twenty-six. Be athletic. Yeah. 
Shout me the athletic three alpha eleven at gmail.com. Hopefully, we have the funds to just send ourselves the yeah, <laughs> be nice. on behalf of We Love Your Arsenal when we explode. <laughs> that would be lovely. Um, so, to help us do that, um, you know, like and subscribe and everything that you could possibly do. Donate. Maybe you should set up a GoFundMe. Send We Love Your Arsenal to 2026 <laughs> World Cup. I was about to say, can, you, can we do that now? Can, is there like a donations option under, I don't know. I don't think so, but that would Angry be lovely. Yeah, that would be sweet. I'll, I'll look into it. Anyway, enough of that yank shit. I'll no drop my bank Mac. details below. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Mac. Enough of that Yankee stuff. Uh, Rob, England against France this Saturday. How do England stop Kylian Mbappe? Oh, it, it's, it's the question of all questions, isn't it? I think... Um, from what I've sort of been reading online, I, I, I don't think the solution is the back three. I think I think we stick with the back four. I, I still think if we play a back four, and as has been widely spoken about in the English media, we start Kyle Walker to sort of try and deal with him. We've still got a player in, in the area that Mbappe likes to operate in who's got the pace that is required to deal with him. We saw the way he sort of was attacking Matty Cash the other day against Poland and fair play to Matty Cash. I thought he dealt with Mbappe admirably, but yeah, Carl Walker will have a fundamentally huge role to play. There's no two ways about it. Uh, he's got to have one of the games of his life. Um, but then, you know, from, from a more basic p- perspective, um, like double up on him. I think that's something else. You know, we've also heard in the media that there's been this anti Mbappe project that's been worked on by Gareth Southgate. Which I'm not is... sure how much I believe that for three yeah. years, apparently. <laughs> um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see if if that works out. But also that don't don't leave him with acres of space just to pick his pick his shot and put it in the top left hand corner because he will put it there. It's a petrifying prospect playing against him but if you want to win these tournaments you have to play against the best players in the game and you know right now I, I would say he's far away the best in the world and it, it is scary yeah I know you said you wouldn't veer on the side of a back three and the way I look at it is I think Carl Walker in his absolute heyday he probably deals with Killian. I mean, he might cause him a few problems, but you're right, his his pace is frightening. He can match Killian Mbappe. Um, and there's all this cliche about if there's any fullback in the world that could do it, it's Carl Walker. I think he's looked a little bit leggy in the first two games he's come back against Wales and Senegal. Um, understandable because he hadn't played for a couple months before that. Um, and I do think maybe his pace is starting to decline a bit I think maybe some City fans would say that in the last year or so um, so I'm slightly more worried about that and I think as you said to double up on him the way to do that is play it back three you have Walker right sided centre back Carl Walker as a right wing back um, and you just say you two play really conservatively They've, you've also got one of the best attacking fullbacks in the world in Theo Hernandez um, who will be on that side supply, supplying overlapping runs to Mbappe you're going to need cover on that side. I know Matty Cash did an all right job in it. Uh, it wasn't good enough, ultimately. Uh, can't really blame Matty Cash for that. Most defenders would struggle, most fullbacks. Um, but I think Walker Trippier on that side is a better shout. I didn't like how Trippier played against the USA. 
thought he was stepping on Saka's toes too much. Um, he was hogging that width that Saka likes to have. I think you've got to do it in this game. Um, and you go for that back three and you put <laughs> Maguire on the, as a left centre-back so he's nowhere near the Mbappe side of the pitch. Um, even as a left centre-back and a back four, he's probably too close for my liking. So get him away from that area. I have Luke Shaw, left wing-back. I think I spoke about this um, after in the last podcast in the USA game. I think Declan Rice was isolated against the US and the way we fixed that was bringing Jordan Henderson in beside him a bit more, uh, having Henderson and Bellingham closer to him um, because, you know, he spoke out Thomas Partey plays that role for Arsenal, but he has the two inverted fullbacks near him. Rice did not have that in that USA game until Henderson came on. I think you don't really want to play Henderson in this game because you want to have all your talent out there. And if you're going to play a back three, it's got to be Rice and Bellingham. I think playing a back four with Rice and Bellingham, you might get Rice isolated a bit. If you play a back three, then you can sort of allow Bellingham to have more freedom. Um, And then I think there's a, a shout for Marcus Rashford to start. If you think of the way that Kane plays uh, for Spurs, the way he drops deep and then looks to spring and turn and find Son with those diagonal runs. Rashford could play that sort of Son role. If you think of it, you think England are not going to have as much possession, going to have to pick their moments at the counter, then maybe you could do that. But if you want to play more on the front foot, have more of the ball, maybe you think of, of Foden and Saka. But yeah, how, how do you see that, Rob? Yeah, I think that's a really complex area of, of the pitch, especially if we if we do play with the three, because uh, you know the, the latest round of internationals prior to the World Cup, the Bellingham Rice double pivot it it, just, it didn't work at all, um, and you know the, the the other alternative is to play Calvin Phillips, who similarly to Kyle Walker has barely played a minute for Manchester City this season as a result of injury. And, um, you know, Phillips is unfortunately in a position where he finds himself behind likely the best defensive midfielder in the world in Rodri. So, yeah, that's an issue. I think in an ideal world, Southgate would probably, if he was going to play the three, want that to be his double pivot. But I I just don't think you can chuck Phillips in. and and just because of how bloody brilliant he's been, Bellingham is undroppable. So if you're playing the three, you do have to go Rice and Bellingham. Um, I, I could see that sort of changing. I, I I mean, I could even see Southgate doing a 5-3-2. I, I really could with Rice in the middle of it and Bellingham and Henderson either side of him. I, I could see him doing it. Um I don't know if you've got anything to say on that, Alfie, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was how we lined up in the end. I could see that, and I know there'll be a bit of an outcry about that um, because, you know, it would look extremely conservative on paper. But, you know, if we sort of keep it tight, have Rash that Kane-Rashford front too, maybe, with Kane trying to try that, in the first half, if we're not really creating anything, we'll probably have restricted them pretty well with that system. Then maybe you can go a bit more, a uh, bit more, a bit less pragmatic in the second half and and take off one of those three in Henderson, Rice, and Bellingham, probably Henderson, and throw on an extra creative player um, in Foden or Saka. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, yeah, you're, you're muted. Haven't unmuted myself. Um, and 
But as you mentioned with Teo and Mbappe on the left, there's also space there. I mean, Deschamps didn't want Teo to be starting in this tournament. He wanted Lucas Hernandez to be there. Um, so I did, in an ideal world, he has those conservative fullbacks and um, Teo Hernandez, it doesn't really fit into that category. So there's space there for Bukayo Saka to cause absolute carnage. Um, and, you know, I, I think it would be extremely harsh on Saka if he weren't to start the match. So Southgate has got a real sort of dilemma in front of him as to whether he opts for, you know, the better team plan or if he sticks with the players who have served him pretty well so far in the tournament. If I was to guess, based on historic Southgate decisions, I can imagine him just going unchanged and, and sticking with the players that he knows because he, he he's, he's a trust man. He, he's always sort of been that way. I'm pretty certain that he'll switch to back three. And I think the whole, I think the plan, just like it was in the Euros, is it's a back four against so-called, not to be disrespectful, lesser nations, you know, games you'd expect us to win. And then when we come up against the big boys, you know, France, Germany, Spain, Portugal, Argentina, Brazil, whatever, then he switches to a back three. And I that's how he pr- approached it in the Euros. You know, when we faced Germany, when we faced... Um, uh, Italy in the final, it was a back four. Um, so I would be very surprised, sorry, a back three. Be very surprised if he doesn't go with that back three. Um, Mac, uh, anything, do you have any sort of uh, input into how you think this is going to go as a neutral? And also, I see your name as Morocco Plastic Fan on this recording studio thing. So... Zencaster. So if you want to say anything about Morocco, I think you're eager to, or anything about the World Cup in general. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll start with England because I think that's, you know, the topic of conversation. This is just me, and I know this might be a call for something different, but like a midfield three of Rice, Bellingham, and uh, Henderson is great. It's, you know, there's a lot of utility there. It's a bit boring for me, and I know that's a little bit of Southgate, but like, I feel like it did and, work somewhat. Yeah, though, well, against, it, um, it works against Senegal. against Senegal. Yeah, but again, who are you trying to boss in the midfield and, of Senegal? And the first, four, and and the first forty yeah. minutes was some of the most yes. sterile football I've seen in my life. You are the right. point is, and they didn't have Adrisagana yes. Gay, their best midfielder. So. Exactly. You know, they're they're playing with uh, Nimpalis Mendy and a 30 million year old Cheku Kuyate. Like when that's your midfield too, you know, yes, Jude Bellingham is undroppable right now. And I think should start, but again, give me a little bit of Phil Foden. He can do that. He does the defensive work for city, right? Um, even, you know, God bless it. I don't want him to come back because he's been terrible for y'all, but Mason Mount, like I think could do a job against the France team. Don't love it. But again, Consider the France midfield right now, right? It's been, what, Chouameni and Kamavinga, and, or has it been Kamavinga? No, I know it's Rabio. been Chouameni. It's been, yeah, has it just been a two? Yeah, yeah, and Chouameni and Griezmann, Griezmann in front right, of, of them. Course. And yes. that's just on Griezmann. Um, no, go ahead, please. I was I'm about to li- get there. But. I'm a little bit concerned about him just sitting on rice and not be, us being able to not progress that ball. Um, exactly. Because he's been... You know, it didn't sort of work in the first half an hour against Australia in the first game. But since then, 
he's been picking up some really interesting spaces. He isn't coming deep yeah. to do the you know defensive work with the two uh, behind him, and he's been linking up with Giroud nicely. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. No, a hundred percent. And I think it'll be interesting to see because if you were to I don't know say play of more of a four two three one stick Rice and Henderson perhaps together at the base of midfield do something like you did with Phillips and Rice at the Euros that worked a treat for you guys um and you did that I might add whether in a three or a four if you're worried about press resistance and worried about playing one holding midfielder I would argue don't play one holding midfielder um because I don't I think, think you can't drop Bellingham you no can't. no but play Bellingham ahead of them no I guess that is sort of what we did against Wales, uh, yeah. against um, who we playing? Uh, Senegal. It was more of a, a double pivot. Uh, sorry, yes. it was more of a flat three. But I think um, you have the ability to play a flat three against Senegal. I think you need against a France team that is currently thriving in chaos, right? That is doing well in more open games, and that is really doing well to force turnovers. Because let's face it, they're very quick. Um, I think that. Playing a midfield two with Bellingham in front of them is not a bad idea, especially if you have the option to have Bellingham be the one who's turning between the lines, right? Who is receiving those progressive passes from two midfielders and playing through. That's just me. I think that's a better strategy. It didn't work against the US because it was Mason Mount doing it. I think Bellingham has showed in this tournament that he really has the ability to do that. Um, what do you think of the potential back but, three with Walker, Stones, McGuire, and then instead? Then yeah. you don't have to play Henderson. Maybe uh, sort of leaving isolated, Rice isolated isn't as big a issue. I, again, I think a back three, especially with England, automatically looks like a back three with two very deep midfielders. And at that point, I worry if France gets spells of possession, what happens with, you know, first of all, you don't want players like Olivier Giroud and... Antoine Griezmann, Kylian Mbappe with extended spells of possession in your half because that's just cross central, right? All three of those players are very good on the end of crosses. Um, I would say, though, that the two areas to be most worried about are the spaces in between the back line and the midfield, and then kind of that second phase of transition in between France's midfield and back line. Um, because that's where they've been the strongest, is recycling the ball in that area above any of their attacking talents. They are very good at reclaiming the ball in that kind of second phase of opponent's attacking transition. And it, you, I, I would argue that you might need to play a player. Frankly, I would honestly give Jack Grealish a start in this game. If you're looking for something like press resistance, ability to dribble, but especially a focal point to take presence onto the left flank a little bit more and maybe free up something like Bukayo Saka, something like Marcus Rashford in behind Harry Kane, as you mentioned earlier. Um, just in terms of pragmatism, I feel like Grealish is a little bit more, like he's more of a, almost a perceived danger man because he has the inherent flair and the skills and tricks and he's he'll attract your attention, right? He He's an annoying player to play against. Um, whether his defensive work, rates up, work rate is up to scratch, I don't know. But I do think that if I were Gareth Southgate, I would probably play that back three with the midfield two of Rice and Bellingham. 
but it would be the selections out wide that would really worry me. Um, I don't know. I think that might be the first time, really, but the best time to put Trent in. Give yourself some real creativity and ball progression from that right wing back spot. Because the I only mean, thing is yeah. about that, which I've I mean, I've agreed with but, yeah. uh, Trent in previous games, but in this game, I mean, you look at Tio Hernandez and Mbappe um, on that side. And, yeah, but Trent. it's why you've got it's why you've got Kyle Walker. Is like I I know he's falling off, but like who who are your other options at right back? Because Ben White's gone. Kieran Trippier has looked suspect against any type of unified press. Is Trent the True. only other one? I think still think Trippier is a better defender, but no, I absolutely agree. Well, Trippier, I, don't know. Uh, is, I mean, Trippier is it... a good defender, and Trent is not. Um, yeah. Well, and I think it's more of a liability in a back four. Anywho. Do uh, Trent, want Trent obviously has, has just never started for England, so that's true. I I don't think Southgate fully trusts him. And no, I'm not. I, yeah. I, I've, I've tweeted about this before. I think it was a very much a token thing. Him taking Trent, him taking um, James Madison, it gets the media off his back a little bit, and he knows that he's not going to give them a single minute. Um, no, I mean, if Reese James had been fit, I'm not sure he would have. Yeah. yeah, I I think he would have been undroppable, Reese James, if he were fit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's a case for Ben White on that kind of form discussion as well. Um, well, obviously he's not with the squad. Though, well, no, I, no, of course, which I've mentioned. And like, before he was dropped, it's a question to be asked. Anyway, yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I, I like from the Arsenal yeah. perspective, we know how Ben White copes with players of high quality. I know Walker historically is the one who deals with with these players, but Ben White probably would be the player best suited to dealing w- with it right now in, in that right channel if we're playing that three. I think if it wasn't Gareth Southgate, if it was perhaps a different manager, which I think is something that we'll save for when England, you know, however we do in the World Cup, we'll have that conversation about Southgate. It's not the time now. But Ben White would be the ideal candidate in that channel. Unfortunately, he's not with the squad. Um, but yeah, I think there's also something to considering sort of how how France have played so far in this tournament. There will be extended period, periods where France let England have the ball. That That is what they are as a football team. And, and we just need to... We need to be as effective as we can. Poland, unfortunately, weren't. They had an absolutely glorious chance on about the 35th minute. Uh, I think it was Zielinski. And then, you know, France were drab throughout the first half. But then, moment of magic from Giroud, who's in the prime of his life, age 35, however old he is. Um, So, yeah, I think... It's important not to be too intimidated by them. Uh, Their back six definitely isn't what it was at the last World Cup. Um, but yeah, obviously you need an element of cautiousness when Kylian Mbappe is around. Well, we haven't seen them against one of the better teams in this tournament yet. So, you know, obviously we haven't seen England either. No offence back the US. We haven't seen either side against one of the better teams. So it'll be interesting to see how how good either side actually is. Um, but listen, look how many options we've got. It's it speaks to a squad with so much quality and so much depth in quality. Um Yeah. It yeah. Outstanding. Uh and I'm it excited. It is it is a squad which should and I hope will win something at some point. I just don't know whether this tournament and this manager that that's just some I'm not gonna go too far into that. I just 
not sure this is quite when it happens yet, but it might. It might. Yeah. To be fair, so, if managerial concerns were anything, Didier Deschamps would have been fired long ago because he's simply not a good coach, but he manages the personalities and the players do the work. Um, I, I do think it's a different... Which I guess sort of but, works on international level to some extent. Yeah, to a, to a certain extent. Um, yeah. Speaking of squads, lads, with uh, with some quality, I want to get on to Morocco. Um, so. Well, I was going <laughs> to say, yeah. we should probably get on to Arsenal, but I'm going to give you both... I, I will take, you know what, someone set, a, set me a to... stopwatch for 60 seconds. I will take exactly a minute to, to talk about Morocco. Go um, ahead, which is talk about out. anything you want, which is going to be Morocco. All right, fair dues, quick run. Uh, Morocco are the boys. They've been, I, I predicted them as a dark horse with a couple of friends that I've got here. Um, starting from the first match of the group stages, um, unfortunately, uh, in the little draft system we did, Spain are my winners. That's gone super well. Um, but you know, Morocco are, are, are frankly a fantastic team to watch. They're a lot of fun. They've got energy. They've got talent. They've got Sofiane Bufal, who is making an, a, a Giroud like comeback from the depths of the bottom of the table in France. Shout out to the dude who used to play Southampton once and scored that one goal ever. Um, in other news from around the tournament, I am still a big fan of Croatia. I honestly think they are better now than they were when they got second in the last world cup. They re- I, hey, this is a take. This is a hill that I will die. That's on. that's a that's a shy no, take. That I, is, I'm sorry. Not, that is horrendous. I, I, di- I disagree. <laughs> been so I genuinely, poor. I, that no, absolutely not. I disagree. I think Modric yeah, I is getting, against no. Belgium. They were woeful. I think they destroyed Belgium. Canada, and that was about yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's fair. The Canada match was was something. I think Brazil, though, are looking unstoppable. Um, I really do think that they have a better shot than they've had in the past couple of years. Um, depth especially is factoring into that squad. Uh, I saw a tweet the other day that was like, if Brazil submitted two squads, one of them would probably win the World Cup. Um, frankly, it's true. I think there's a lot of talent to go around, but nah, big up Morocco. I do actually think they might beat Portugal. I don't think they'll get any farther than that, but like Portugal seemed the type to crumble under that pressure. The uh, the, the domineering presence of Yusuf and Nasiri, who was linked to us a while ago, um. Yeah. Happy days. Well, if I can't they wait for to... the Ronaldo stories, that's that's just what I can't <laughs> wait for. I can't wait. Um, if they were to do that, they'd be the first African team to reach semi-final, so it would be historic. And that Ashraf Hakimi penalty—that is World Cup heritage. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Un- <laughs> Rob's in the little dance, but unbelievable. Rob, I'm going to give you similarly short amount of time to say anything you want about the, the World Cup. Um, okay, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, I think there's just a really interesting conversation to be had about this World Cup and similarly to what I was speaking to uh, with Mac about what you want from an international team coach because there are cases to be made that the teams that have played the best football in this tournament are out of the tournament. We've got um, Spain who, oh my God, against Costa Rica... The football was ridiculous. Like it was, it was club level organization and brilliance on the ball, so composed. And then you've got Germany as well, who, who really dealt with Spain pretty incredibly, considering how good Spain were the, uh, the game before. But you know, these top class managers who are trying to implement sort of high quality sort of systems, you know, you, you've just got to question how worth it is because. I think it's been proven in this World Cup. It's all just success 
tends to be on the international stage built upon defensive solidity and and that and that as a foundation and that is what has sort of borne it England and France through in recent years at the Euros for England that that's how we did it so yeah if you just in general it, what we have all known but I guess more people are beginning to realize international football is basically not the same game as, as club football and it's been interesting to witness that and it's interesting from an analytic perspective as well to sort of try and appreciate that because when I'm watching games it goes against everything that I sort of think about football but I know that it, it just is a different game and how I analyse it does needs to be different as well. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and the thing about Germany is, and this is going to tie into sort of what you just said there and a great thread that I saw about international football. They basically had one half that was slightly dodgy in the first game against Japan, the second half. The rest of the, the rest of the, you know, the other five halves they were pretty good uh and they went out of the tournament it's such a small sample size um the margin for error in the group stage is so small that you know this is and this is what the thread said it kind of makes sense to play sufferable because if you think about sort of reducing variance in those games if you have a plus 0.7 xg difference um uh, is it better to have 1 to 0 0.3 or is it better to have uh, 3 to 2.3? That's right, yeah. 3 to 2.3. Both plus 0 0.7 goal, uh, XG difference. You're probably better off having 1 to 0 0.3 in international football because your win probability is the exact same, but you're uh, lose probability in the 3 to 2.3 almost doubles so it makes sense to keep it tight and just sort of try and create one or two big chances and then sort of hope or make sure that the opponents don't have anything anyway let's get away from the world cup uh, and it's five, 42 minutes um, and we are finally going to talk about arsenal rob you watched the game today 3-0 win Give me a very brief summary, anything to take from it. I saw some nice goals in there. I saw, heard that there were some nice performances. And then we saw some young players in the second period of the game. So anything to say about the young players? Anything to say about any individuals? Anything worth taking from it? Um, obviously, you, you take it all with a pinch of salt. I, I, I just found it very sort of intriguing going into it, how we approach this game, because it felt like a pre-season game. But at the start of pre-season, you've gone a, a fair well longer than three weeks without playing this it's only been three weeks since most of these players last featured and they all did get a run out against Brighton most of them in the Carabao Cup in that defeat um Arsenal on the day were excellent I have to say um it, you know we've seen some frustrating performances from some of those players in the Europa League but yeah Leon just really struggled to cope with with Arsenal um I think the you know man of the match definitely goes to Fabio Vieira I mean, his goal was superb, uh, becoming a bit of a trademark, that sort of near post finish when he sort of comes back on himself. He scored a similar goal against 
Brentford um, uh, in the Premier League earlier this season, and uh, it was even better today. And his assist for Eddie and Inketia was just gorgeous outside of the foot, curled it around the centre back, and Inketia with a typically Inketia type finish, and that somehow the ball hit the back of the net, but he, even he won't be able to explain how he made sure that it did. So yeah, it was a convincing Arsenal display. I think the main takeaway for me was just how the structure was maintained when we pretty much changed the whole team and we had basically a, a, a whole group of academy graduates on the pitch. I just think it's it's uh, indicative of how sort of streamlined the philosophy now is within the club that Arteta can chuck on these players and they all know how to play the the four three three and the press doesn't change and players know positionally where they should be. I, I think that was that was a really interesting thing for today. And yeah, just Good to see Arsenal back, really. Um, I do miss Premier League football uh, as much as the World Cup has been fun. Yeah, and I think what you said there about you know the streamlined philosophy and having cohesion throughout the club, even into the younger, you know, the academy that they are playing the same system is obviously key. Because if we need to, you know, if we want to promote any of them, if they can slot straight into that team, it's great. But also, if we need to call on any of them for whatever reason. They know how to play that system. Um, obviously, they won't have done it at the highest level, but yeah, they'll have the sort of ins and outs of it, a decent, basic understanding of that. Um, and it develops their tactical um, awareness as a player, which they'll need to, you know, you know, Ethan Winnery, he's 15, he's probably not going to understand the full complexities of the system, but, you know, he might may start getting into it and then he'll grow into it. Anyway... I think we have to move on to what is supposed to be the bulk of the podcast, um, but we'll have a decent chat about it. Um, Gabriel Jesus, pretty devastatingly, um, has been ruled out for, we don't know the exact time frame because he's just had surgery on his knee, but, and from uh, Rajpal Bra, the, uh, I think that's his name, the doctor on Twitter, he gave a bit of an insight into this sort of uh, injury. He said it's normally sort of a 70-day recovery um, from this sort of injury. Granite Shaka had a 70-day recovery last season from this injury, um, and it could have been quicker, apparently. So I actually counted 70 days from when he had the surgery. Um, And if that is the case, he should be back mid-February. There's a good chance it's not till March now. I think there's no chance he plays January. An all right chance he makes it back in February, but most likely we'll start to see him properly in March. That's obviously a problem because I think we would all agree he's been transformative, um, transformational, should I say, uh, to the way we've played. We know about potentially some goal scoring issues there, but generally everything he's brought to the the way the play, team plays, his pressing, his combination play, the way he drops deep. Um, his dribbling ability. It's obviously going to be a problem. First of all, I'll start with you, Mac. What, what is the preferred solution to you? What, what do we do first of all in the immediate short term? So before January starts. Well, um, I mean, there really is only one answer to that question. Well, that's a lie. There, there are two. The, the first answer is, is that we trust Eddie and Ketia explicitly and or replace within the squad C 
Gabriel Martinelli, which leaves us with a nice gaping hole at left wing. Um, the second option is that we recall Flo Balligan, um, which is something that we have the ability to do for hopefully not a horrible fee. He's been in pretty ridiculous form this season, and we could use another forward. Um, I mean, that's about it, really. I think in Ketia's time, even if it is in a random weird friendly against Lyon, with the team and, you know, even consider last season, when he is that guy, he's that guy. Like, when he's getting the consistent minutes, getting in the squad a lot, and feels comfortable in his role, I think he does really well. He can look occasionally a little iffy when he comes off the bench. We know he can sometimes miss some big chances. He's done so in the past. But as soon as he gets a consistent run, and he's shown this time and time again in his career, as soon as he gets a consistent run on the side, he will start scoring. Now, we don't know exactly how those goals come or how beautiful they're going to be or how amazingly picturesque, but he tends to put the ball in the back of the net. I also think, and I'm going to do a little bit of a Google search here, um, just as to our fixtures for the next, so we've know, got for the pre-January, right? Well, we've, we've got, got West Ham on Boxing Day and then Brighton, Brighton away on New Year's Eve. And then theoretically, January 1st, we could sign someone you know new. I'm not as invested in that because that's the game against Newcastle. And then we're on to the FA Cup third round against Oxford United, um, who, you know, I, I don't think we'll be playing many of the starters for that one. But January 15th is the North London Derby at the Toilet Bowl. Um, so here is my, essentially, here's my two cents on the entire matter, including January. I am genuinely comfortable rotating between Martinelli and um, Re- and what's about to say, Reese Nelson, Eddie and Katia at number nine until January. Essentially, even through Newcastle, that's okay, especially if Katia gets in good form. The deadline I'm really setting for something to happen is January 15th. Um, and I think there's options. I think a lot of people want us to go for a player like Tammy Abraham, who we've been linked to in the past, amazing forward, would do really well within the squad. I'm not necessarily of the same mind. I also think a lot of players want us to go for somebody more versatile. Um, be that, you know, a winger who can play striker or a striker who can play out wide or an all-around forward. I mean, you know, a lot of people want that to be Mikalo Mudrik. I think he'll take probably a year to become anything resembling other than a left winger under Arteta's tutelage. Um, Again, I'll throw my hat in the ring for Cody Hackpo because he's really an, an amazing player and has been showing us that he has the ability to, especially with the way Jesus has been dropping deeper, linking up play, he's been doing a great job of that with the Netherlands in a kind of combined false nine, number 10, left wing, whatever the hell position. Um, I think he could sl- slot into our system and provide a lot of, you know, fill a lot of the gap that Jesus does that Nketiah might not as well be able to, but... I suppose that's my two my two cents on fixing the problem. I also think that we could once again trial Emil Smith Rowe as a false nine once he gets healthy. I really am a fan of that profile, although it hasn't worked in the past because we've never trained with it. But I I do think it's it's a potential plan. Yeah, I think we were always, and this is according to the reports, we were always looking to do something in January. The plan was clearly to bring in another wide forward. Um, 
been linked to several. And I think Amy Lawrence did a piece in The Athletic confirming that news. Now, do the plans change? Do we either change slightly the profile player we're looking for and maybe look for someone, as you said, Mac, who is ostensibly a wide player but has played down the middle and can play there? Um, and can maybe do some of the things Jesus does there. Um, Arsenal Villain scouted Jesper Lindstrom. I mentioned him in the last podcast. He's a player I really like. Um, and when you look at the prospective price tags and you look at his versatility, he's played as a number nine. He's played in the right, played in the left. I would be all over that. Or do we keep with that plan um, and sign another forward, another striker, perhaps on a you know short loan deal until the end of the season or you know someone of because we're not going to sign another Gabriel Jesus another player of that ilk that's just not going to happen if we bring someone in he'll probably be sort of around in Ketia's level um so for me it's not a question of are we looking to upgrade in Ketia here or are we get, looking to either get something different to him or get someone to just ease the burden on him because he's going to have to play loads of minutes Rob, what do you think we do? Do you think we go for someone else, a second player um, in that position, maybe a short-term loan, maybe a, a player who can play down the middle or out wide, or do you think we just sort of keep by that initial plan, sign that wide forward and trust Eddie and maybe a mixture of Martinelli and maybe even Smith-Rowe or the new signing as sort of alternative options down the middle? Yeah, I think um, it's important... I think a huge aspect of it will be to factor in how Emil Smith-Rowe has recovered from his injury because if he has recovered effectively and we're able to just sort of rely on him to play consistently, then then great. I think that leaves us in a much stronger position. As Mac alluded to, he could do a job as a false nine. He hasn't done it on a consistent basis for Arsenal, but a lot of people who seem to know about things think he would be able to do that. So... Um, yeah, I'm sure. And Mikel Arteta wouldn't have played him there on that sort of one occasion that he did if he didn't think that Smith Rowe could do that job. So there is that. And then there's Martinelli, who, again, his game is so much more refined and um, sort of efficient than it was a few years ago. And I, I'm sure he'd be able to do a better job up top now. Do you know why I don't like the Martinelli suggestion? Go on. A, because when we've seen it... Uh, Besides when he first came in under Emery and was playing in the Europa League and League Cup, we have uh, when we have seen it, it was a couple of games at the start of last season and it didn't really work. I know the team wasn't playing very well in that period, but still. But also, we've got this blueprint. I don't, we've got, I don't want to move too many pieces of, of the jigsaw, if you know what I mean. I like Martelli on that left. Have him and Smith throw on that side. Um, if you know what I mean, that's why I wouldn't favour that solution, even if it may yeah. paper seem like we're getting all our best players in if you move Smith Rowe out to the left and him down the middle. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We're moving less around if Martinelli stays on the left, and I can definitely see Arteta taking a similar um, perspective on that. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting one. It honestly just depends on how realistic the club think the title challenges and especially the owners. If the owners think, bloody hell, we have to go for this, then I can see us throwing money at it. But 
you know, last season we were in not the same position, but a similar one where top four was on a plate for us. And, you know, the, the charge was pretty clear. Uh, if we sign a, a, a striker who can elevate us, and we tried to in Vlaovic, but that didn't materialise. Um, we would have all, in all likelihood, been in the Champions League right now. Um, I don't think this is a club that, that does act with knee-jerk decisions. I think we sign a player that we have scouted for a lengthy period, uh, likely who is more comfortable playing on the wing than through the middle. Uh, my guess is that that player is um, Madrid. Uh, just it, it, it seems like the stars are aligning on that front. Um, and you know, from what I've watched of him, he he does look like a fantastic player. Whether he can slot in straight away is another question, though. You know, he's coming from a very different style of football, um, and yeah, he he hasn't played that much either because of the timings of the league that he plays in. So yeah, um, and I think we also just need to consider the club did make a commitment to Eddie and Ketia last summer. They made a they made a. They established their stance, and Ketia is Gabriel Jesus's second. Uh, sort of, sorry, Gabriel Jesus's understudy. That was the role they gave him. So, if if the club then go and sign a player who is effectively going to replace Ketia in that role, what, what, what was the point of keeping him? They they have a sort of duty to give Ketia this chance, and I hope that he takes it. Um, we discussed this a lot last summer, didn't we, Alf, about the sample size of the period that he sort of played in and yes, he was effective, but can this be drawn out? And this is, is really the question time. I just, uh, you know, hope that we're not in a situation uh, this time in, I don't know, like a month and a half when we're thinking, okay, we need to take Eddie out and we've got no one to replace him, um, which unfortunately it could could turn out to be the case. But you know, we've got this period now where we can get Eddie ready. Um, it's not like we just have to throw him in at the deep end. He knows that this will be his job and knowing Eddie, he he will take it with both hands and do all that he can to fill Jesus's boots. The good thing is we've got time to think about it and time to work it out because obviously we're not having games at the moment. We've got Eddie and Ketia has got time to prepare for it. Um, he's not going in cold. He's got these warm-up games and then he can, you know, get into the action against West Ham on Boxing Day. I don't really see the Balogun being recalled thing. Um, personally, I think, I know he's been playing well in France for a club like Ream, but I think it's a big ask for him to come in and play for the team top of the Premier League. I know he's not going to be starting and I get that it would ease some of the burden on Eddie, you'd be able to rotate them him and out, maybe in some Europa League games in the FA Cup third round against Oxford, for example. And again, it's just not but, something we do. You, you look at exactly. Saliba's being on loan, there's been that talk, are we going to bring him back when we've needed centre-backs? We don't do it. We let them enjoy their time away and at the end of the day, we do have an agreement with Reem. And I think it would be disruptive to follow in Balogun's um, progression. I know you could say we've got to put that online when you know, the interest of Arsenal there, but you know, he want he, he needs this full season out um at Ream to do stuff. I think uh sorry Mac, do you want to say something? I was just gonna say like the last striker I mean that we've recalled on loan was Eddie and Ketia from Leeds because he wasn't getting time. Um I really do feel like we use loans now more for development than we do for finances. Um and 
you know, in the name of development, taking him away from Reem wouldn't be the greatest idea. I think like, could he do a job for us? Yes, absolutely. Is he more likely to do a job for us in the future? If he continues to do as well as he is this season, hundred percent. And I think there are other solutions that are better suited to the needs of the club right now. The way I look at it is, this is going to sound a bit damning, but I think the title race is like hopes of the title had got real. Like most of those sort of models were putting us at thirty percent for the title, which is high. It was a realistic dream to have. I think they're over with Eddie and Ketia as our only striker. Um, and I don't think that's a poor indictment on Nketiah. Gabriel Jesus is an exceptional striker and the way Elliot explained it on Arsenal Vision sort of, I think, made sense. We were on a 90 to 95 point pace with the way we were playing and with Gabriel Jesus. Eddie Nketiah could be a 70 to 75 point pace striker. I think he's shown that towards the end of last season. We didn't quite make it, but that wasn't always his fault, you know. Um, and I think he can do that. But is he a striker that's going to lead you to 90 to 95 points? Because obviously your striker has a big impact on that. I'm not sure. That doesn't mean I think the title has to be over. Because I think, firstly, I think we let him play in the first few games. You know, the first sort of four. Um, obviously, it's Newcastle. Sorry, it, it's West Ham, Brighton, Newcastle, Spurs. Let's see how he does in those. If the indications are we've we barely fallen off since Jesus, I know it's a small sample size, then maybe trust him. I know it's still sort of small sample size, but he's sort of earned that trust. And he, what you were saying, Rob, you just have to give it to him there. I think if there's signs of bumps in the road, you have to, in the later stage of the January transfer window, you have to act. You have to go for someone. Um, there was an interesting shout from Clive on Arsenal Vision. He said, Marco Asensio is up for a loan. He's been playing <coughs> for Spain um, as a false nine. Maybe you give, you just provide that alternative option to Eddie Nketiah. Um, he's a quality player. I like him. I know he's been sort of on the periphery of the Real Madrid squad um, of late um, in the last couple of seasons, but I still, that's, you know, that's not very good players don't make it at Real Madrid. So, and he has been there for ages, so he has sort of made it, but you know what I mean? So, yeah. Rob, what do you think about those sort of ideas that the title might be off unless we act? I'd agree with it. Um, again, that, that's, that's not too much of a slight on Nketiah's name. He's just not a title-winning striker. And, you know, as we've seen in the Premier League this season, to be a title-winning striker, you have to be bloody good. Um, you either have to enable the team that you play in to play a ridiculously high level of football. That's something that Jesus has done with his exceptional link-up and the way he moves defenders around. I mean, he's been fantastic despite the sort of goal question. And then you, otherwise you have a striker who scores a ridiculous amount of goals um, as City have with Haaland. And Nketiah's sort of in the middle is hold up players far from elite and his goal scoring contribution is decent but not you know ridiculous and I think I think it it does hold us back um if his form is shocking of course we go into the market I would I would hope that the club have sort of thought about this and 
that perhaps there would be a player who is both a for a wide forward and and who who can play as a striker. Um, there are names out there that have been discussed. Um, you know, I, I just a, a couple that spring to mind. You've got Zaha, who has like six months left on his contract. Um, you know that that's very that would be a very anti Arsenal move, and I don't think he'd be able to do the striker job. Someone that I'd like to hear Max thoughts on those a player that's been linked with Arsenal here and there for quite a while now, and that's Marcus Duram, who plays on the left um, for Gladbach and then plays up front as well. Very, very interesting shout. And, you know, Mac obviously is a a man who knows a lot about Gladbach and European football in general. So, Mac, what what do you think about that shout? Because I I do genuinely think that's something we could entertain. Yeah. um, I really like Marcus Duram. I... His profile has developed in a in a different way than I think it did originally in his breakout season with Gladbach. Um, if you were, he is. I mean, he is a bully. He is massive. He's strong. He uses his physicality to get his way. Typically, um, I think he's quick enough to play well on the wing. But his best ability comes when meeting crosses, making late runs. Um, Frankly, I'd trust him more as a number nine than I would as a left winger in our system because of how direct we like our wingers to be, how much they rely on dribbling. Um, He's tricky, but his first touch does sometimes let him down. Um, I think if you're looking for a player to run channels, to work his butt off, to be an absolute menace in both hold-up play and in the box, then Turam is a great shout. I think if you're looking for someone to do what Jesus does in really tight spaces, kind of that elite close control, the really incisive dribbling and interplay, Turam can do it, but isn't always consistent with it. I think that's what has kind of held him back from a big move until now. Um, I think he's, I don't know what his contract situation is. If you said it, Rob, I missed it. But um, I would really like to see, I think he's a great profile. Um, I don't think that he is necessarily anything more than a backup to the talent that we have right now. Like, I think he would be a great stopgap solution, but I'm not sure how long-term he would fit into our plans. I do think, though, if this Jay-Z's injury ends up being serious, if Nketiah's injury, or sorry, if Nketiah's form is poor, I do think he's the type of player that is adaptable enough and talented enough to fit into this squad and have a meaningful impact. I think we need, I mean, we've said this for a while, we need that player who um, I sort of referred to, I think, as our Diogo Jota. Um, you know, a front, a player who, you know, we've got our set front three like Liverpool did. Um, and then they brought in Diogo Jota. They then went and bought Diaz, who was sort of a Mane replacement in the end. But, you know, they brought in Diogo Jota, who wasn't necessarily going to start over either th- any of the front three but if one of them came out, he could play in their position, which meant he got plenty of minutes, which, you know, a player of his level needed. Um, if you know what I mean. And if we could find our Diogo Jota, that could be it. And maybe Marcus Turam's quite a good shout for that because he is versatile across that front three. Um, and he'll bring, a you know, a different style of play 
a different profile to each of those positions than our starting three do, which um, I guess Diogo Jota did when he came to Liverpool. Yeah, I think I think that would be a really important thing for me. We, we don't just need to plan for the next, like, you know, it's likely going to be about six weeks by the time we sign this player, if we sign this player, until Jesus is back. We need to think, how is this guy going to feature in the squad when Jesus returns and, and likely assumes the role of the, the starting striker? Um, so. I think you're absolutely right, Alfie. This player does need to offer something different to what we already have. And on that point, Terem absolutely does. Um, Simply, I'm just concerned that he, like, I don't know, he's a quality player, but I think definitely still needs a little bit of development with his tactical awareness and cutting edge to be like a shoe-in in our squad. I love his profile, um, but I mean, how old is he now? When I think twenty five, he's twenty five. Yeah, and he when has the links first started, left. he was twenty two. Right. Like, I think if we are looking for a player that is, I don't want to say twenty five or older right now, but for this squad, for the profile, I think twenty five, twenty six has to almost be a shoe in for me. Like, take a look at the players we've signed of that profile, and they have been, if not instant starters, then you know, improved the quality of this team by leaps and bounds. Does Terem improve things? Yes. Is it markedly? I'm not sure, but I do think he's a great player. The reason I like that shout is that he would help cover the Jesus injury in the immediate short term. True. And I, I do think he could fit that sort of squad role we're talking about of sort of being our, our Diogo Jota or whatever. Um, or are we the club that inevitably, because um, someone will sign Gonzalo Ramos for like eighty million after one hat trick at the World I, Cup? I don't think it'll be us, but uh, he good does player. look very good. He does. No thanks. Yeah, I think we have to do something. Um, I think we're going to do any something anyway. I think we have to slightly amend those or sign two players. I just think. We have to raise the level of the club and show our ambition at this point. We're in such a great position. We can't let... And and I know, you know, to beat this Man City time, you need luck. And unfortunately, we've stumbled on our luck a little bit here with this injury. But I think we just need to do something. We need to raise the level and show the ambition. If you look at... Imagine this happened to Manchester City. They lost, I don't know, Ruben Diaz, for example, they are bringing in a centre back in January. Ruben Diaz gets a three-month injury; they are signing well, a centre back. And I know they've that. done that. To be fair, they've they've lost Ruben Diaz, and they had Stones, Laporte, and Ake to back it up. They, you know, they well, planned exactly. for that eventuality. But, I think okay. right now it's a question of losing Erling Haaland without Julian Alvarez there to back it up. That yeah. I think is like um, the equation, right? But but even then, do do if it is City and they lose Haaland, do they rest on their laurels and accept a very raw Alvarez as their as their backup, or do they go and sign someone else? I think they might sign. They sign someone, someone. even oh, if I, it's a short I term. Agree they sign someone. And I know that like 100%. we're not in the same ballpark as them in terms of finances, but we do have the finances available to us to make a signing in January. It's not like you know in general and, we can't compete with them. And we do have scenario. You know, you can think what you like about the Cronkies, but clearly they are quite invested now as well. Um, just just in terms of the project, we've seen the photos of Arteta and Edu out in America. Clearly things would have been spoken about on this front. 
I can see Josh Conkey being the sort of man who who knows the the uh, sort of gravity of this situation. He knows that the the that a bit of finance can propel us towards this title and if that means you know shedding 50 million or whatever it is on a player who is going to be part of the long-term plans because he can be as Alfie has consistently alluded to our our Jota um but you know he he will also be that sort of stopgap solution hand in hand as well and I, I think that the Gronkies probably could be persuaded in that regard and look at the impact of Spurs's January signings last uh, last season. Rodrigo Bentancur, Dan Kulisevsky coming in January, it completely transforms them. They got them both on loan, I think, uh, with options or whatever. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So, you know, January signings can have a huge impact on you. Um, and I don't think we should hold back. Um, I think we've done this. We've done this well. I'm going to back Eddie and hope he becomes absolutely elite. Um, the good thing is he hasn't gone to the World Cup, so he's going to be fresh. If you look at all the other forwards at top clubs, apart from Erling Haaland, uh, and I guess Mo Salah, there's going to be a lot of tired legs coming back from the World Cup, and Eddie Nketiah is fresh, and he's been wrapped in cotton wool for three months, and he's got this mid-season, pre-season. So hopefully it works out. We'll leave it there. Um, marketing opportunity of a lifetime. Rob, plug yourself. Go give me sorry for if if that's a extended pause my my clicker wasn't working straight away but um go give me a follow on Twitter at AFC Blogger forty nine and uh, apologies for my lack of you muted yourself I have muted myself Jesus Christ uh, I was just apologising about my lack of content about on We Love You Arsenal uh, I will be back more on it because it is Christmas soon we are all excited for that Arsenal will be back there'll be more stuff to write about and um, yeah but in the meantime follow us on all our socials give the podcast a like and yeah share it with your cool uncle as Daniel Finton would say I'll second all of that um yeah, follow us on the socials. The links will be in the description of your podcast provider. Um, Mac, plug yourself. Marketing opportunity of lifetime. Uh, yep, as per always, two marketing opportunities. The first of those is, of course, myself, Mac Johnson, 22152 on all platforms. Um, like my presence on We Love You Arsenal and similar to Rob, my tweeting has been slow recently. It will pick up. Um, just not much time, really. But yeah, other marketing opportunity of a lifetime. You mentioned that Hakimi dinked penalty, his little penguin celebration. Um, the irony of that penguin celebration, which you guys may be privy to, is the fact that that is the celebration that he shares with Sergio Ramos at PSG, who was omitted from the Spain squad. So, of course, he knocks Sergio, he knocks Spain out and does the Sergio Ramos celebration. Brilliant bit of shit, Hazri. Live, love, af, haki, live, love, Ahraf Hakimi. That's a name. Uh, yeah, lovely. Mental, because that's a PSG teammate as well, and he would have known him yeah. Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, love that. Uh, well, that's them done. Um, so I guess we've come to the end, but we can't wait to bring you one four seven, which will be some point soon, because we are trying. What to about get to... what about your marketing opportunity, mate? I'm just, just saying. Second... I'm just saying. You're just yeah. seconding everything. Seconding everything. Shout out! Shout out! We love you. Yeah, I'm not cut it, okay? 
Yeah, we love Austin Connery. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, oh, and shout out yeah. Daniel Finton, who's graduating. Congratulations, yes, guys. mate. Two days in two Con- days. Congrats, lad. Uh, congrats, lad. As as Mac saw that. Get joke, Mac. Oh, Mac, you, yeah, you cringed me. me out my body when you when you Good. said that. I have to Good. say that's the point. Jesus that is Christ. the point, my friend. Congratulations to Daniel Finton on. It feels like he's been in education since. I, well, obviously he has. He's been he's been working hard for years and years. Um, it feels like he's just been at uni forever. Yeah, exactly. For, literally forever. Maybe he has. Um, so well done, Danny. It's all over, and you start your career properly. Um, working and for the uh, Shout out the Mac Johnson doppelganger, uh, Brighton Sainsbury's. Oh yeah, <laughs> if you're listening, random Donny from Brighton Sainsbury's. I saw you, and you look exactly like Mac. You probably are Mac. Um. Yeah, you've been to that Sainsbury's Mac as well when you came and visited. Oh, is it that Sainsbury's? Oh, lovely. It is. Yeah, it is perfect. Um. Yeah, my guy. Uh. Yeah, we hope to bring you one four seven very soon, and we are going to aim for that one fifty to be the final podcast of the year, the round season round, the yearly roundup, which we did. A f- I think for twenty twenty. Um. Twenty twenty two has been mental. It'll be drunk cast, and then we will have continued our drunk cast every twenty five episodes which is amazing. Um, we need a song, um, and I'm happy to just put World Cup by Speed, I Show Speed again, because it's the World Fuck's Cup vibes. sake, that song. Uh, on the double, on the double. It's got to be. I think during the World Cup, it's got to be. Um, so maybe we'll have one more of that. Um, yeah, it's all right. Podcast. For, for 147. For 147. Yeah, we'll make sure to do a preview of England in the final. So yeah, that'll be fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a hat trick for iShow Speed on the Arsenal Cannon podcast. It will be. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for joining me, uh, you guys. Please Let's reviews go. if you're listening. Uh, Everybody rise up, uh, and stand yeah, up. See you next time. Bye. It's that time. Come on, we got Portugal, we got Mexico, France, England, Brazil, Belgium, Qatar, Germany. USA, Iran, Canada, Argentina, Australia, Croatia, Switzerland, Ghana, Japan, Uruguay, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Ecuador, Wales, Poland, Sunzia, Cameroon, Serbia, Korea, Netherlands, Senegal, Costa Rica. Let's play football.
football. Scores a free kick, and that's game three to two. GG to all the rest of the countries, man. Brazil, you might win. Mexico, you're not winning. Switzerland, you have a chance. Uh, France, you might got a chance. England, you have a chance. Germany, might got a chance. USA, I don't know. But hey, let's get it, man. It's that World Cup time, man. We out. <laughs>